morning. I am glad you're here this morning. We are in the middle of a series called The Beginning, The Gospel Story. If you have your app, if we, we have an app that you can click the link at the top of the feed and you can find our YouVersion event. In case you weren't certain about this, last week, if you weren't with us, we, we covered the first chapter of Genesis and a little bit of chapter 2, so we covered the seven days of creation. And so we're going to be in Genesis again because Genesis is a very, very long book. But we won't be in Genesis for long in this series this week is one of the most foundational of the entire series. So if you have a friend or family member that's missing this morning and is sick or is somewhere else, make sure that they come back and watch this sermon because it's going to be important for the whole series. Understanding the fall, what we're going to talk about today, will help us understand the rest of the entire Old Testament as well as Jesus' ministry on earth. Last week, we learn that God created the universe and then he labeled it good. God had created man and woman and set them in a garden paradise. But because of Adam's sin, the world fell into chaos and God's good creation became broken and fractured. The fall of man affects us all. And as this series weaves its way through the rest of the Old Testament, notice that history is leading us to the entrance of a Savior. Let's pray this morning, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, starting in Genesis chapter 2, and go to Genesis chapter 3. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we woke up this morning like any other day. I pray as, as your word is read, as your word is preached this morning, that you would open our, our hearts and our minds to what it says, to what it means for us, to how we can apply it. And live differently this week and for the rest of our lives. God, we, we all came from the one person that you created, Adam. And Eve were in the garden just like we are walking into church today. And God, they did something, but you still had grace. They sinned against you. God, help us to see this morning our opportunity through Jesus Christ to have forgiveness for our sins, and for what we have done in our lives. We say all this in his name. Amen. So let's start by reading Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 17, where it says, The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So we have the garden, this, this magical paradise. And there's two trees at the center. The trees will decide the destiny of all humanity. And then when God, God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he was putting them into God's rest. This was a place of rest for them. It was a garden paradise. They tended the garden and cared for it, but it was a place of rest for Adam and Eve specifically. Everything they could have possibly wanted was there, but God gives one command. Isn't there just one command? We always just trip over the one thing that we have to do or should do said, if you disobey and eat of the tree, you will surely die. 
He says surely. It's very important that we remember that. But then Adam and Eve have a temptation here. And for all of us, we have the same temptation. It's a big term called moral autonomy. It's what, what we do when we decide that we have moral autonomy is we decide what's right without looking at God's word. This is the attitude of, I can do what I want, when I want, however I want, with whoever I want, without any concern for others that are made in the image of God or God himself. That's what Adam and Eve had the temptation to do there. And it's a sin. Paul actually wrote Romans 6.23 where it says, For the wages of sin is death. And he was probably thinking of Genesis 2.17. Now let's contrast this a little bit with Jesus. Even before we get further in this passage, Jesus, the, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, calls Jesus the second Adam. He believed in the word of God. He was the mouthpiece of God as well. He spoke for God. And the temptation we have today is to establish our wisdom apart from the word of God and God's will. Postmodern thought. Postmodern thought thinks that we have the authority to do whatever we want, whenever we want. We're not accountable to any one person or thing. If, if you don't think that's true, read five news articles about the same event. And you'll notice you can make something sound like whatever you want it to make it sound like. That's what our world that we live in. But we are living lives filled with temptation and sin. And our only hope is to trust in the word of God, to trust Jesus. So in this moment, we don't see it yet because we will see it by the end of Genesis chapter 3. God sent Jesus, the Savior, to our broken world. It's broken to be our bridge for forgiveness. He was the bridge that we can't bridge. And so Adam and Eve are living in this garden and they're married. They're at peak intimacy with God and with each other. And then we get to verse 24 and 25. And they tell us about this. Verse 24 and 25 say, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is a beautiful moment because God came first in their love for each other and also for him and in their thoughts. C.S. Lewis describes that, that it was without painful effort. You know, you ever feel like you have to make an effort to be close to God? There was no painful effort here. It was just natural. There was nothing that we had to do or think or, or feel. Loving God was effortless. Clothing was not needed because you didn't need to hide or protect yourself. God was at the center of both of their lives. They were at the summit of innocence and intimacy with God and with each other. And most of us that have lived long enough in this life kind of wish the story just ended right there. They happily lived ever after and nothing ever happened that was wrong and evil. But in just a few verses, we are going to find them in a place of guilt from sin and isolation from God, needing to hide. Here's the dialogue that causes this descent from the summit of intimacy and, and innocence where they're so excited and they're, they're in love with each other, but they're also in love with God. And then they descend down to isolation from God and from each other. Starting in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, I'm going I'm to read this 
And many of us possibly have read this before, but I want you to think of this as like the first time you're reading it. Think of it as like you're there, right there with the serpent and Eve. Just think about that for a second as we read this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I think it's important to note in this whole interaction, sin had not entered the world. So there's no, there's no sin in the world. And crafty, the description of crafty, crafty does not imply evil. It's not that this was some evil instrument. It was that it was under the control of Satan. The serpent was evil because Satan was involved. In the New Testament, in Revelation, the book of Revelation, twice, the serpent is described as a tool of Satan. So we know that Satan was actively influencing this serpent. And so I guess what I'm saying is we don't need to be afraid of snakes all the time, except for the poisonous ones. But what we do know about the serpent right here is that Satan used it to attack the word of God. Remember last week, God's word, he spoke he spoke. God's word was responsible for day and night, sun and moon, the sky, the garden, the animals, the birds singing, Adam and Eve. God's responsible. His voice spoke and that happened. And now we have a serpent saying that God's word is not what it says it is. And Satan was subtle though. He introduced something that still affects how we read the word of God. So this is more relevant and important today than it was in that moment because there's more of us that need to hear this. He, he introduced the thought that God's word is subject to our judgment. It was tempting to Eve. God had said back in Genesis 2.16 that I read earlier, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. And then the serpent says, Listen to this very carefully. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? God's generous act has now been perverted by Satan's question. God's not stingy. He gave them a whole garden. There's two people for a whole garden with at least two animals of every kind in the universe that have ever existed. But Satan wants us to think that God's stingy. Eve didn't see that Satan was attacking the word of God. That question that was subtly giving her some doubt would immediately produce fruit. And instead of reminding the serpent of what God said, Eve makes her own revisions. As do we, right? We like revising the word of God to make it sound what we want it to say. So she descends into this, this place of guilt and isolation through her revisions. And she did three things to the word of God that we need to struggle daily not to do. She did first. She subtracted from it. She took away from what God actually said. She took something out of it. She adds to it. And then she softens it. 
You know, you ever talk to someone and you want, to, you want them so badly to come to Jesus that you kind of change how the gospel is? It's like, it's like, well, Jesus just needs part of you, not all of you. You know, that's, that's what Eve does here. I mean, look at this. Look at Genesis 2.16 again. It says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. That's what Genesis 2.16 says. And then she says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. She actually subtracts one small detail from what God says. She agreed with the serpent about the generosity of God. It wasn't every tree. It was just, we can eat. She made God look stingy. And we, we do this, but we do this by looking at what we don't have rather than what we do have. You know, we look at pictures on social media and think, wow, I want that. And the reality is God's given us more than we could ever ask for. And then look at what she does right after that. She says, again, don't eat of the tree, right? She says, don't eat the tree, which is what God says. But then she adds something. Neither shall you touch it. You shouldn't touch it. She added to the word of God. She said, well, he's actually stricter than, than a really he is. He's, if you touch that, it's going to be like some magical lightning bolt's going to come down and crush you. And we do this the same way when we act legalistically. She makes God sound so strict that if you accidentally slipped and touched the tree, you're going to go, you're going to turn into dust. We do this. It's pretty typical. Let me give you an example. A supervisor calls an employee in their office and says, you've been late a lot recently. It's really important that you're on time from this point forward. So the, co- the person goes out and starts talking to the coworkers and says, he said he's going to fire me if I'm late one more time. You see how that's different? Totally different. Just, hey, be on time. Like, it's a soft. It's not, it's not the same thing. It's completely different. They're adding to it. We do that. When we don't like something God says, we make it more extreme and magnify its strictness. And that's our excuse for not being part of a church or being part of a community of believers. We, use it, we make it sound worse than it actually is. But then she does one small thing at the end, which is the opposite of what she just did. Eve softens God's word by saying, lest you die. How's that softening God's word? That sounds pretty terrible. She took out the word surely. It's not a maybe. It's a surely. It's, it's going to happen. And they didn't realize it wasn't physical death immediately, but there was spiritual death that happened. And so in verse 2 and 3, she revised God's word for her own purposes. And it put her in harm's way as it does us. So Satan responds, as Satan does often when he tempts us. He says, you will not surely die. And more literally, if you actually you look at the language there, he's like, not, like, Profoundly, not. You will not surely die. No, not. It's not going to happen. This is the serpent, Satan, versus the word of God. And this is the first denial in history that God is the judge that will judge humanity for our sins. So Satan offers a question to pervert God's word here that leads Eve to question and also allows him to say that God's word is wrong. So Satan questions the goodness of God. Verse 5, follow along with me. Genesis 3, verse 5, says, For God knows that you will eat, eat eat of it, and your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. God was cast in a terrible light here. You ever have someone 
cast God in a terrible light. Satan here decides to go for the big lie. He's not just going for the little white lie, you might call it. He's going for the big lie. If you're going to lie, you might as well lie enough to reinterpret all of life. Right? Let's just go for it. That's what Satan does here. And he gave Eve the temptation of being divine, being like God. So you can be like God. You can be God. And she's like, well, he's kind of everywhere. He created me. Be nice to be like God. I like that. When God prohibits you, when he stops you, the temptation of eating the fruit of sin will be strong. When, he, when you're told not to do something, you want to do it. I'll be honest, my wife would say, till she's blue in the face, that that's how I am. If someone tells me I can't do something, like I physically can't or something like that, I'm, I want to go do it. Because I want, I want to do it because I'm being told I can't. But if you know that God sent Jesus, the Savior, to the broken world, to our broken world, to be our bridge for forgiveness, you don't have to worry about that. You start realizing that, like, you can't do it on your own. And then things are done God's way. So Eve's left to her thoughts. I always wondered right here, like, where did the serpent go? You know, like, the serpent's definitely back in the scene a little bit later, but the serpent just, like, slithers off. And Eve's left to her thoughts in verse 6. Sometimes being left to your thoughts is worse, right? <laughs> look, look what, look what happens in verse 6 and 7. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to, be, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths. We might have heard this story in some type of a, you know, children's story before, but this point is really just, this is like the darkest point in all of humanity. This is the moment where Eve says the tree is physically appealing. It's good for food, right? I, I think it's good for food. It's aesthetically pleasing. It looks, it's a delight to the eyes. It's a delight to the eyes. It looks good, you know? I want one of those trees, like, in my yard. You know, that tree looks awesome. And then it held wisdom apart from God. Desired to make one wise. And then she ate and changed history forever. We could stop there. And most of the women in the room are like, why are you stopping there? We're not stopping there. Because where is Adam in all of this? Where is Adam? If he's the one here being deceived by the serpent, where is Adam in all this? It says he was with her. Men. What, what was he thinking? He was with her. And then Satan, if you look earlier in those earlier verses, when Satan addresses Eve, it's the plural you. He was with her the whole time, standing there right next to her, listening to these lies. And she's repeating lies as well. And he's just like, hey, what's up? Oh, yeah, the tree looks good. What was he doing? He was passively watching. If I can say anything, man, we should not passively watch when we know something's not going to happen good. He's not stepping in. He's not doing anything. And, and the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 2.14 says, Adam was not deceived like Eve. 
He sinned willfully. He chose this. Eve was actually deceived. I'm just, my mind is blown. What was he thinking? He obviously wasn't thinking, right? Isn't that what we would say? He watched Eve take the fruit, and nothing happened to her. So he's like, eh, I'm going to do it now. It's like a bunch of people jumping off a cliff, one after another. Well, that first person didn't die die cliff jumping, but I'm going to try it. Even though God said, surely die, I'm going to let her try it first. That's another thing I just can't get over. God said, surely die. Adam knew that, and he let the woman go first? No. Man, if you, if you read this, this is all the things not to do in life. I don't care if you're a child. I don't care if you're married. I don't care if you're not married. Don't do this. Don't. Why would you let someone go to something that is, that is painful, and you know something bad's going to happen? I mean, God created the universe, and now he's saying, surely die. I think I'm going to trust him at that point. And instead of protecting her, By stopping her, he let her go first, making her guilty and isolating her from God. That's what he did. Then verse 7. It says, the eyes of both were opened. To what? Then they knew they were naked. Satan told them it was true. true. What, What Satan said was true, but only half true. They would not die right away physically. But they did die right away spiritually. They did die right away spiritually. They lost the intimacy that they had with each other and with God. They need a savior. And sin takes hold here. And when, when, he, when, when you doubt God's word and his goodness, what used to be enthusiastically believed is kind of ho-hum. Huh? Yeah, we go to church for Christmas and Easter. We try to make it there sometimes. We try to be part of a church, yeah. We try, to, we, we try to get in our Bible. We minimize, we add, and we subtract from the Word of God. It does, it does this. This is what happens. And then we eat of the fruit, the temptation that we have. In Deuteronomy, Moses says something that I think is really profound. He says, the Word of God is no empty word for you, but your very life. Is that, is that what we live like? If it's your very life, then Isaiah 62, 66, 2 makes sense. This is the one whom I look. This is what God's talking about his people. He says, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Adam should have been shaken in his Boots. God said, surely die. And he's just like, mm. Jesus is the second Adam. When, he, when Paul calls him this, he was tempted to use God's word to resist temptation. And that's what Jesus did instead of changing God's word. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8.3 that says, man does not live on bread alone. But man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus fed on the word of God, as should we. That's that's where he found joy and hope, and and it, it, it filled him up. 
Because God sent Jesus, the Savior, to our broken world to be the bridge for forgiveness. Right now, at this point in the story in Genesis chapter 3, there is no bridge. There is no hope. There's nothing. And honestly, I don't want to be hard on guys today, but Adam did a terrible job. What was he thinking? Eve's there, and Eve's kind of, I mean, Eve, Eve did some wrong things, but she was really deceived, and she didn't fully, I mean, she was innocent and didn't understand, but like, what, what happened here? The fall is just starting. Let's see what happens next. Genesis 3, verse 8, we see what happens after their eyes are opened, and they're in the garden, and it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Pause for a second here. Don't you think God could have been quiet and silent? Let's, I mean, but he made noise. So I think he's, he's working here with them. He makes noise in the cool of the day, and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam is not, no. I, I don't even understand. I think we do what Adam does, but man, Adam is not doing well right now. Caught. Is that the subtitle of this part of the story? They're caught. God's in the garden making noise. They hide. What a delusion that they could hide from the God of the universe. What a delusion that they... I mean, God spoke to Adam and said, name the animals, and he's trying to hide from him. I just... What a delusion. The words of Psalm 139, 7, ask a question that has an easy answer. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And the answer is nowhere. There is no place on the planet that you can hide from God. That's either really scary for you right now or really hopeful. Because God loves you. God is the creator. When we sin, we want to run and hide. We avoid conflict. You see it in children. As soon as they're able to walk, they run away from their parents when they do something wrong. You see it in adults when they avoid conflict. There's certain people that some of us would just not want to ever be around for the rest of our lives. And we avoid it. And there's sin there. We avoid conflict. So what does God do? They're hiding. It's, it, their hiding is like this. Hey guys, can you see me over there? That's, that's what they're doing. It's like little kids hiding behind nothing. That's what they're doing. And so God asks a simple question. Where are you? Where are you? It's kind of playful. You ever do that when you get home? You know, if you have young children, you just go, where are you? And they're like hiding and you can see them. And you're just like, okay. So God answers the question. He, 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 he asked the question, but he already knew the answer. And so God knew what would happen, and he didn't rush to judging them. He gave them some grace. He gave them time. Hey, confess, right? 
You can come and confess to me. I'm going to give you some time. Again, God is not as Eve described because she described him as this finger-pointing, killing, you touch the tree, you're dead. Adam starts confessing, but he doesn't confess to sin. He confesses to fear. Fear and shame are the marks of the fall. Fear and shame. God might be calling you this morning from hiding. You might be hiding from him. I know it sounds weird to say you're in church hiding from him, but it's true. It can happen. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, come out of your hiding place from your self-reproach. You're covering, you're hiding yourself, your secrecy, your self-torment, and your vain remorse. I think Adam needed to hear that that day. But instead, Adam dug his heels in and made some excuses. So what does he start with? Guys, this is a what not to do if you're ever married. This is a what not to do in life. This is a what not to do ever. Okay? The woman did it! So I did. Terrible idea. She gave it to me. She's dangerous. She is so dangerous, God. Oh, she did it. God, it's the woman's fault, and it's not just hers. It's your fault because you made her. That's pretty dangerous. Have you ever thought of it that way? It's God's fault. He's passing the buck. He's passing the responsibility for everything that happened. And we only thought teenagers did this. Sorry, teenagers. But Adam started this. So to... To err is human. Have you ever heard that phrase? To err is human. But to blame it on God and others is more human? That's what Adam does here. That's what we do. Another, another way we do this is we blame circumstances. God, how could you put me in this situation with this woman? I'm weak and depressed. You know I was going to just cheat on my wife. Or we could be under the delusion that our passions, the things that we're excited by are too strong, so we have to give in to them. God, you gave me this passion, this excitement about this. How could you do that? I have to do this. It's sin, but you gave it to me. The most common, we play the victim. We see this every day. We excuse ourselves or others from responsibility over our sin. But I was brought up this way. This is just how things are done. This is what I... I only know this way. This is all I know. I, I, was, I was abused, so that's why I'm doing this. My, my parents were terrible models, so it's all their fault. And this is therapeutically taught and lived in practice every day. And if we give in to this thinking, this is where it lands. And this is what's important today that you hear. God is responsible for sin, not us. But he's not responsible. Turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. It'll be up on the screen, but if you have your Bible with you, I think it's important that you highlight these verses. If there's anything that you highlight in your Bible, James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God cannot tempt you. Can't. You just can't. What else does James say in the following verses, 14 and 15? It says, 
But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own, what? Desire. Then that desire, is con- it, it, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. That's a terrible way of life. You always hear about being born again in Christ. But right here, what it's saying is our desire gives birth to sin, which gives birth to death. So who's responsible for sin? We are. It's our sinful desires that give birth to sin and grow to death. We can't blame the devil or God. I can bet you, right there at the end, when Eve goes, it was the serpent, God's like, nope, it was you. Like, there's no response to that. So how are we be able to be free from this guilt, this blame that we feel? Romans 5.17 tells us, For if because of one man's trespass, and that's Adam, just so I'm clear, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, more than we could ever ask for, and the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. One man trespassed, Adam. Jesus, though, he never passed the buck. You know what he actually did? He said, pass the buck to me. I will take the responsibility for what you've done. He did the opposite of what Adam did. He took the responsibility for each of us that walked in here this morning or are watching online. Everybody, everybody in this room, Jesus has taken the responsibility for your sin that you have committed. The buck stops with Jesus. God sent Jesus, the Savior. He's the only Savior. Nothing else will save you. Nothing in the universe. To our broken world to be the bridge for forgiveness. It's literally like we're walking across his body between two ravines. There's nothing else that that, that can cause us to be able to go to heaven, to be able to have intimacy with God like Adam and Eve in the garden. So what does God do? As a result of the sin of man. What does he do? He curses the serpent. He curses the man. He curses the woman. This may be a surprise. But God is not like Eve said. This is one of only two curses. Where God speaks a curse. Onto someone or something. Isn't that surprising? Don't we think the whole Old Testament is filled with it, some of us? It's only two times, and he chooses to do that here. That's how important this is. But although this curse affects us, as does the punishment for sin, does each day we are alive. I'm going to focus on one verse here at the end. We could read all the verses, and I would encourage you as we're going through these passages to read all the verses, whether you do after the sermon or before. I want to read verse 15. Verse 15 might be the most important verse in all of Scripture when it comes to humanity. If you were reading this and you were an Israelite before Christ, you might not see what God's going to do because they didn't know God's plan yet. But this is just such an amazing verse. 
when he's talking about the serpent, he's cursing the serpent, in verse 15 it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. That's just animosity. Like you're angry, there's, there's difficulty, conflict. And it says, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This verse is largely recognized as the first gospel prophecy. It's the first good news about Jesus Christ and his work on earth and heaven. Jesus, after we get into this mess that we're in, you guys feel like you're in the mess? Let's, let's go back to Genesis 3-7. We're in a mess. We know we're in a mess. We're hiding. Genesis 3-8-13, we're hiding. After all this happens, Jesus is going to crush Satan. He's going to crush him. Completely crush him. He's, get, he's going to do the, the, the best job possible of crushing Satan. And at the end of Romans, the Apostle Paul refers to this in Romans 16, 20. He's talking to the Roman church and he says, The God of peace, you notice this is the God of peace, will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the, our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You may wonder, that's the future tense, so you're, you're wondering, but Satan was crushed when Jesus died on the cross. Satan will be crushed at the end of days when he's thrown into the lake of fire in Revelation. That's what it says in the Bible. He will be crushed again at the end of time. And the end result of this curse and their sinful actions is that Adam and Eve had, Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. It says there was a cherubim and they had this, this flaming sword weaving back and forth. There was no way back. That's the way it's described. There's no way back into the garden. But that's not the end of the story. Because if the story ends right now, it's not exactly happily ever after, like earlier could have been. We get to the end of Genesis 2.25, and it's like happily ever after. Let's stop here. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3. We don't want the story to end there. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus took the curse and defeated it on the cross. He rose to new life so we can have life. And then the gospel has always been, as 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 and 4 say, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You take those two verses right there, That's why we have hope. Because we have a second Adam. An Adam that didn't pass the buck. An Adam that said to each one of you, by name, before you were born, I am going to take your sin from you. Come to me. This exile from the garden was temporary. If you look at the whole of the Bible, there's a new heavens and new earth. It's not just... One end of things. We're in the middle of this. Longing for peace. When you, when you watch what's going on in the world today, you are longing for the God of peace to have Jesus crush Satan. That's what you're longing for. God sent Jesus, the Savior, to our broken world to be our bridge for forgiveness. And part of that is he's going to crush Satan. Life on earth comes down to this. We are responsible for our sin. 
If I was to stop there, most of you'd leave discouraged probably, maybe a little heavy on the shoulders. But God gave us Jesus as the bridge for forgiveness. That's the good news of the gospel. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You can't do enough good things to ever accomplish what needs to be done. You cannot just just try harder because I can bet you the moment Adam and Eve were out of the garden, they're like, God, no! I'll do anything! I'm going to try harder! We messed up! It doesn't say that they said that, but I I don't know. When I watch people and they get, they get disciplined or punished or something, that's what happens. But we can. We, we cannot earn our way to heaven, but we can put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because he accomplished what we cannot. The blame solely lands on us, but Jesus takes the blame and the curse of sin. And it was defeated on the cross. Our only hope is to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's our only hope. I pray that when you read this passage, you can read verse 15 and realize there's hope from the beginning of the universe. The God that created the universe with his very voice, there's hope from the beginning. And this week, church, may we be a bridge of forgiveness in this broken world that others need. People need to see us like Jesus. We need to be like Jesus, not diminishing, not not subtracting from the word of God, not adding from the word of God, not softening the word of God, but instead pulling people out of their isolation from God with God's word. May we not hide from God. Some of you laughed when I described hiding behind this. But that's how foolish it is when we hide from God. And I'd be the first to say that I've had moments where I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like praying today. That's the very moment you need to start praying. We cannot hide from God. May we not, church, make excuses. Not pass the buck, but just step up. May that be who we are. So as I close in prayer, I want to encourage you that if you think you're hiding from God right now, come up here and get some prayer. Because because honestly, there is a moment where we're so close to God. The only reason we can pray is because Jesus died on the cross. That's the only reason. He gave us that opportunity to be intimate with God and pray to him and, and, and ask him, God, may your will be done in our lives. Please be with me. We can ask questions like that. So as I pray, we're going to sing one last song. Come up here for prayer. If you're feeling compelled that you need prayer. Or just to pray with someone or share with someone what's going on in your life. Let's actually step up. Let's be more like the second Adam rather than the first Adam. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and and I think if we're all honest with ourselves, 
We all probably struggle with identifying with Adam. We struggle with identifying with Eve. It's everyone else's fault. It's not ours. God, you have given us so much in your son, Jesus Christ. You've given us a savior that took the curse on, the curse of sin on himself as a sacrifice for each one of us. God, we just pray that you would help us to put our faith and trust in you each and every day. Wake us up so we're not deceived like Eve or willfully sin like Adam. God, we're just thankful from from this point, the first thing that you share with Adam and Eve is, is hope that Satan will be defeated. God, we pray this morning that the temptations we have in our life, the things that maybe were, were compelled or uh, just, just drawn towards, that we would be able to take responsibility and ownership to say, no, I'm not going to do that because God's word says that I need to be obedient. God, we thank you for allowing us to come together as a church this morning and hear about Jesus Christ, the Savior to the world, the only bridge we have to forgiveness and eternal life. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen.